Welcome to the Support Automation Show, a podcast by Capacity. Join us for conversations with leaders in customer or employee support who are using technology to answer questions, automate processes, and build innovative solutions to any business challenge. I'm your host, Justin Schmidt. Good afternoon, Jennifer. Welcome to the Support Automation Show. Where does this podcast find you? Yeah, I'm coming in from San Francisco, California. Love San Francisco. Jennifer joins us as the author of The Startup's Guide to Customer Success. She is also the head of customer success at CISO, which does, looks like you guys have a platform to manage the H2A process for companies. Is that correct? Yeah. So you can almost think of it as all of our lovely farmers, they need people to help work their lands, harvest the crops and all that really good stuff. And oftentimes they can't necessarily find the workers on their farm or right next door. So they often have to get migrant laborers to come help out especially for those busy seasons. And we have that software to make sure that they can do everything all in one place legally. So just in case they get audited, everything looks good and with no hassle, no drama, all good. So that's kind of what we do. Awesome. And you lead up the customer success team there. I sure do. And you have an interesting background because not only are you leading a customer success team, you also wrote a book and congratulations on, on, on that. I'm sure that was a, I'm sure that was a great process. How did you get into customer success and maybe give us the, the sort of cliff notes version of your career path that led you to where you're at now, but then also I'd love it if you could talk about like the impetus behind saying, you know what, I'm going to write a book because that's not, that's something a lot of people maybe think about or National Novel Writing Month, which I think is November, comes around <laughs> and they get real excited about it and you know, they, they get through half a paragraph and then just, eh, this isn't for me. But you, you actually did it. So I'd love to know, like, how'd you get in customer success? And then what was the spark that led to that book? Yeah. So I born and bred in the startup space. So I started on my career in the startup space. I was like employee, like number 10. I, I think there's just 10 people and one dog, a dog with security, very important, very cute security, not very good security. But anyways, we all love them. Uh, <laughs> and because I joined so early on, I did everything under the sun. Um, data, product, marketing, operations, sales, customer success, of course. And through that experience, and particularly through the sales experience, I remember going out and pitching to folks and thankfully doing the decent amount of job where we were able to get customers in the door. And I remember going to my supervisor and said, hey, you know, what's the plan here? And he was like, I don't know. And, I, and me thinking, I just worked so hard and at the whole team worked so hard to bring this customer in and we have no plan of what to do next and what yeah. onboarding looks like and how do we get them started? We were just like, maybe we send them an email and hopefully they'll figure it out. And I'm like, this, this, this just doesn't feel right. So I started thinking about, hey, like, what if I helped to create, I didn't know the term customer success back hmm. then, but like, no, figure out what post-sale is. And I re realized that there's a term out there called customer success. And I did what every person does now, go to Google, type in customer success and start reading. I was immediately overwhelmed. There are so many articles out there and this was like five, six years ago. So there's a little less, there's a lot more now, but I remember back then you, I would start reading and things just wouldn't resonate with me. Hmm. Uh, there'd be something where it said, okay, you just buy this platform. And I would say, I don't have a budget for a platform. I'm a one person team on day zero of my customer success journey. I don't have like, why should I need, why do I get a platform? I have no idea what I'm doing. Genesis looks great, but what am I going to do? <laughs> exactly. And then people are like, oh yeah, go get your team to do this and do this playbook. 
And I was like, I have no team. It's like, just team? me. Right. Yeah. yeah I, was like, I was looking around. I have no team. And it just, I just realized there wasn't a lot of resources out there for startups like myself. So as I was kind of figuring out my own footing by talking to other folks in the Bay Area, um, lucky enough to be in a place where there's a lot of people who are down to get coffee, I started realizing that there is a need for a resource to help startups figure out what customer success looks like as startups. And that's actually how I started writing the book hmm. is thinking about, okay, what really matters when you're a super small company where you just started your customer success team? Heck, you may have just started your company. Like how do you start thinking about customer success in a way that is not overbearing and in a way that doesn't overwhelm you? And that's why I wrote the book and how I started my journey. Absolutely love it. So here on the Support Automation Show, we after intros, get into the topic of support automation. I know I'm very clever in my transitions here, but <laughs> that phrase, support automation, can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people. And I always start every interview with this. Cause it's interesting how everyone answers it slightly differently. So when you hear support automation, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I think support automation in general, especially in the world of customer success, which I've run customer support teams in the, in the past within the customer success team. So I know there's so much synergies there. Yeah. I think... Support automation is really about two things. First is increasing personalization. And the second is increasing team bandwidth. Mm -hmm. So I'm seeing like increasing personalization because you're able to reach a lot more people more quickly in a way that's more nuanced. So you can, for example, previously, let's say the human limit is I'm able to send 100 emails a week that has five unique fields. But with automation, you can literally send millions of emails in a week that has infinite unique fields. I made those numbers up, but like you get the idea. Correct. Exactly. Directionally correct. And that's like the first part, increasing personalization. And I think that second part, which is another huge thing, is increasing team bandwidth. I think the more that I can extract the things from my team that are repetitive, the more my right. team can spend time pushing things forward, create more brain space to think about, think more creatively. Uh, I just think it's a win-win for the customer and the company. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a symbiotic relationship between automation and bandwidth. And what's interesting is that in some instances, I shouldn't say some, in, in most instances, well-implemented automation like is able to not just create bandwidth for the human capital inside an organization, it also makes the output of that team seem like there's more people involved in it than there is. So like your point on, it's not just the number of emails, it's also the amount of personalization. So it's like an M times N type benefit. But what's interesting, and this comes up a lot, and I'm curious to your perspective on this, is that automation has a little bit of a negative and scary connotation to it. Mm -hmm. At times, people think it's everything from robots taking over a position on a factory assembly line to now intelligent intelligent document processing or robotic process automation or some of these other AI technologies like replacing white collar knowledge worker type jobs. Why do you think people continue to maybe have some of that pushback against automation? And what's your recommendation for customer success and business leaders to bring automation into their teams and avoid some of that trepidation and, and pushback? Yeah, I think a lot, as like a lot of things, it's all about framing. How do you introduce something like automation? And oftentimes what I found works best is framing it as 
hey, I see you as a human being that has a lot of really great ideas and a lot of great thoughts, and you can add so much more to the company. Mm -hmm. Let me take that stuff that is boring you, that you don't like doing, let me take that stuff away. And so you can do more and maybe even do more in less time so mm -hmm. that you can spend more time with your family. You're not working at 8 p.m. on the Friday, yeah. like little things like that. It's like you talk to them. And I think this is just the customer success side of me of like, how do you, what do you, like, what do they value in being able to show and almost like present that business case of why automation can really help them. And then on like the manager side, I know you didn't ask this, but on the manager side, like, I think when people say, oh, we, you need to add more automation to your team. I think it can be scary because people don't, because automation is, there's no playbook for it. It's not like, hey, do this one thing and that will work every single time for every single team and every single company. It is different depending on your customer, depending on what your team processes look like. Right. Uh, and so I think that can be a little bit daunting for some folks. And I think when it comes to managing that trepidation, it's all about showing support and being like, hey, we're here for you. Hey, it's going to, I'm not telling you to change every, like Rome wasn't built in a day. You don't have to change it all and figure it all out tomorrow. It's, right. like, it's going to be a process and I'm here for you along that whole journey sort of right. thing. Yeah. And when we were going back and forth scheduling this, this interview, one of the things you had mentioned, and this is great because I have spent most of my time on this show, probably talking to customer success, customer support, and, and some sort of internal help desk people at mid-market and up. We don't cover the startup side of this as much as we probably should. So I'm really interested in in diving into this with you because you've literally written the book on it. And that is automation within startups and the balance of doing things that don't scale, which is startups love to talk about scale, and then and the balance between things that don't scale and automation, specifically when within startups. I would love it if you could double click on that and give us some insight into what a startup specifically has to keep in mind when they're introducing automation and then speak a little bit on that balance between things that don't scale and automation. Yeah, no, this is such a great question and a really interesting point because we're told as startups to do things that don't scale, meet every single customer and really get to know them and understand how they interact with your product, but also figure out how to make it scale later. And I think when it comes to automation, you have to focus. You understand what is the objective and understand what is what are you trying to accomplish with automation. And I think this is also generally something that mid-market and above folks also care about, but I think startups, is, it, it is especially important. So for example, the most common thing you'd probably automate as a customer success person and a small startup is email. So figuring out how do you mass send emails and stuff like that, but at the same time, it may make sense not to, there's a balance there. You don't want to automate all emails to the point where people are like, oh, this is obviously a bot. I don't Hello, want to talk first to name. people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And they just don't feel that, they don't feel that love from you and realizing like, hey, I thought this was a small team. I thought I'm only working, but it feels like I'm getting all this bot messages. And I think what really works well is first doing it yourself and then giving it to a robot and not basically what I'm trying to say is like, don't boil the ocean so quickly. Mm. Don't say, oh, I want to automate my emails and then, and then you automate all your emails. No, I would say, <laughs> right. you know, you know, first try it out, see what works, see what doesn't, see if there's any different segments that you can find. For example, if customers that are in America versus customers are in Europe, maybe they have a different preference of how mm. things are worded. I don't know. You can make up any 
literally any segment you want and then really figuring that out. And once you feel like, hey, this messaging really resonates with someone, then that's when you start automating it. And that's when you start realizing, oh, I think they really like, like it when I attach this attachment to it. And boom, that's something easy to automate. So I would be very cognizant of how I do that. So another good example of this is like check-in emails. Oftentimes people are like, oh, I just check in every other week. Let me quickly automate that. I'm like, actually, maybe you don't want to automate that. Every mm. single person's on a different part of their journey. Maybe think about which segment you want to automate first. Maybe it's those that are doing really well. Maybe you don't want to send a generic check-in email to someone who isn't doing well on your platform. Like little things like that, I think, is are examples of just finding that balance between doing things at scale and automating things too quickly. Yeah, that's a great point because there are certain aspects, especially in, in customer success, where you've got you've got your range of CSAT scores that are coming in, and you've got cohorts of customers with far more revenue per customer, or more likely to whatever, more likely to churn, less product adopt, whatever, however you segment all that stuff. And there is certainly a optimal amount of low touch, high automation versus sort of high touch, low automation work that you need to think about those segments. And you're touching on something that comes up a lot on the show. And that is automation, whether it's it's as simple as a emailer or as complex as a multi-step RPA tool going through 15 different API endpoints and passing data all over the place. You have to have a fundamental understanding of the process you're trying to automate before you start to automate it. And those processes can be everything from simple as like generating an RMA number or a much larger trying to get people to adopt a certain product feature. One thing that's also wrapped up in what you were saying that I think is would be interesting to touch on is when you have those high touch moments where maybe it's not a good idea to automate those emails and, and you really should send them. How do you recommend, and I'm going to stray from automation here a little bit, but I think this is a good topic, especially in the startup sense when you're wearing a lot of different hats. How do you recommend people prioritize their time for those kind of things? Do you feel it's better to like batch process that stuff at, I don't know, nine to 10 every morning or sort of do it as it comes up. What's what's your thought on prioritizing and creating time for those high touch moments? Yeah, I think first off is always to remember why we have those high touch moments. Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes the mistakes I see is I'm doing high touch for the sake of high touch and not really realizing that maybe this is a bad time to do high touch or maybe this is not the right customer to do high touch with. And just like being a lot more thoughtful of mm -hmm. the time that you're spending. So I think a really great example, and I'm taking this from my book, is that we have this idea of QBRs or quarterly business reviews. I believe it was Jamie Jeff and his team back, one of his former companies, and they were doing quarterly business reviews for all their accounts because that's something that everyone says to do. And right. then they realized that about half of those quarterly business reviews, no one cared. Like the other people just didn't care, but it was a high touch moment. They were spending so much time on it. They were spent, like their data team was spending a lot of hours collecting the data and making mm -hmm. sure everything looks right. But then they didn't, the customer didn't care. But that was a high touch moment. That's a really great example of how you need to be really cognizant of how you're, like why you're doing that high touch moment. And in terms of prioritizing in the day, I'm a big proponent of just really getting to know your customers, especially when you're seed or series A and just like, 
having a lot of different moments, whether that is the kickoff call to the check-in call and just really making sure that not only are they having a really great experience, but you're learning something at every single step of the way. That's exactly why high touch is so great is that you're either building the relationship more or you yourself as a company are learning something that can then benefit something else in the future. I think just really having that in mind as you prioritize your day, and it really depends if you're like a morning person, a night person, or whatever it is, I think just really remembering what your objective is, Mm -hmm. it will help you so much. Yeah, it's a good point because oftentimes, and and this happens in marketing too, (laughs) you get like enamored by the means and not necessarily the ends. Good example of this is I got game recognized games sometimes. And I got pulled into a, a LinkedIn ad for a, a planning tool that I was like, oh, this is, this is great. So I like, mindlessly fill out the form and then read the ebook, the SDR emailed me, I took the call and you know, I was like, wait a minute, wait, wait, time, time, time. I don't need to be spending money on a, on a planning <laughs> tool right now. But like, I got just enamored with this idea of, oh, this is a, this would be very helpful, but didn't really think about what it was I was trying to accomplish in the first place. How do you approach automation specifically at CISO? Yeah, I will note that it's like month one at CISO for me right now. But I think even at my previous company, when it comes to automation, it's really, and you you were touching on this a little earlier, Mm -hmm. it's like really understanding what the process you're trying to automate. Understanding like what happens before, during, and after, and what are some of the edge cases? What are the common edge cases? What are the less common edge cases? And, you know, how do the edge cases interact with like big logos versus mm. small logos and uh, what customer segment did they affect? Like really understanding that process. And I think that's just key. And I think once you figure that out, then you have to figure out your team, like what works best for your team because or your customers, because you want to make sure that the automation works for them and not against them. You don't want to confuse people after all. So for example, if let's say I have a customer and they love getting texts, but mm. I have customers who hate getting texts all the time. So if I were to automate like something that texts you every single time something is updated, oh yeah, half my customer base is going to hate me. So being really cognizant of the process and how I'm doing it, and then you can start planning. And then once you start planning and really come up with a plan, that's when you, of course, you do your research and make sure you have the right way of going about it, which could be getting engineering on board, getting product on board, or it could be getting a third party. Or it could be you working with a Google Sheet or a, no, a low-code or a no-code tool. You don't always have to buy things, which is another great thing about automation. And then once you figure that out, what works best and making sure that you keep going back, does it achieve the objective? Understand what metrics are you trying to hit? Understand what success looks like. That's something that we always ask of our customers, but we also need to ask of it of ourselves. Of what does success look so that I know that this project is successful? And yeah. of course, once you figure that out, you execute it and then you keep iterating on it, making sure that it works and all that good stuff. Very cool. Let's step away from automation for just a second, which it's, I'm the host of the show. I get to decide when we go away from automation. <laughs> <laughs> but when you were doing the work for your book, I understand you talked to a lot of people in customer success at startups. And this is a researched case studied work here. What were a couple things that you learned that surprised you that you didn't think you would hear from successful customer success leads at some of the places you talk to? (laughs) So I think there's a few things here. I think one is more directly the answer. But the first thing that I'll say is that my publisher did a really great job 
of making sure that I had no assumptions going into the project. They really pushed me to think, for example, I would be like, I want to do this. I want to cover onboarding and support and X, Y, Z. And they're like, throw that all out the window. And I'm like, I just worked on it. And they're just like, nope, doesn't matter. Don't write a single word until you talk to your interviewees. Like they just didn't, they're just like, yeah, throw that all away because you need to figure out what's happening on the ground. You need to figure out what other people are interested in talking learning, not what you're interested about mm. talking about. And I think that was really great because that meant everything was a surprise in some sense, or everything yeah. was just like really interesting and like examples and stories and all that really good stuff. But I think one thing that I think that comes to mind, uh, not surprising, but something I wish that they had an answer, a better answer to was I asked some question around the words of sometimes at a startup, you always feel like you're always firefighting. There's fires here, there's right. fires there. And I would remember talking to someone who, you know, has a much more established company, definitely not like series C, series D, series E, I think even IPO'd at some point. And she was like, that never stops, Jen. And my heart sank a little and it, it surprised me. I was like, wait, but you guys have so many more resources and teams and processes and you still like, there's still fires. And right. yeah, no, that just, that happens. And I think it really... It surprised me in the sense that I thought it would not be, but, and I also hoped for a different answer, but if that's, that's the case. And I think it gives me, it also gives me a lot of hope that customer success will never be boring. And my job will always be interesting because there's always something more to solve. There's always other things to personalize and make even better. And I think that's just really exciting. Yeah, the scale of the problem solving may go up, but the amount of problem solving doesn't change. It reminds me once I was talking to a Salesforce rep and I was, I like anybody in sales and marketing and increasingly customer success at this point too, get, get very frustrated with Salesforce very easily. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Salesforce. But I asked our Salesforce rep, I was like, just shoot to me straight. How is Salesforce inside Salesforce? And she was like, it's a mess. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I feel better now. I really can't thank you enough uh, for your time, Jennifer. And, and this has been a fantastic conversation. Let's start wrapping up here, thinking about getting back to automation. The two questions I like to always end the conversation with. And the first one is, if you were going to give a piece of advice to a business leader who is looking to get started on bringing automation into their their place of work, What's like the one thing you would tell them to make sure you get this right before you before you get too far down the road? It can all be summarized, but don't boil the ocean. And I think that p big piece of advice is like a includes a lot of smaller pieces of right, advice, right. like starting small, prioritize your time, see if it's actually working or not. And also like thinking creatively and not just to throw money or people at the problem, but really use that noggin and noggin inside your head. And, you know, like as much as automation is, automatic, it, it only exists because we thought about it and right. we're thoughtful about it or should really. So I think that's what, that's the advice I would give to people. Don't rush yourself. Yeah. That's good life advice in any scenario. When you think about the future of technology and automation and customer success, what excites you the most? Yeah, I think what excites me is that we're really only scratching the surface right now. I think a good chunk of automation is a lot of if this, then that automation. Mm, yep. and so I think it's just going to be super exciting when we can get to that next level of much more complex logic and not just huge if then that statements and having things that can actually think for us. I think that's just going to be huge and I'm really excited for it. Yeah, there's a certain amount of 
power you can do with nested if functions inside of Excel. <laughs> Excel's good for that kind of stuff, but you're right. The true AI getting into everything from sentiment analysis and much deeper level thinking on and decisioning on things versus to your point, if, if CSAT score is greater than X or do Y, but um, this has been a great conversation. We're going to close it out with the my, my quick fire round and you have the distinct advantage of being able to answer this question in a great way. What's the book you most often recommend to people? <laughs> yeah, the book I most often recommend to people is my own. I think I, I talk to a lot of startups in the world, in, in actually, yeah, in the world, both across this, the country, but also overseas. And I, I think there's not a lot of resources for startups out there. So I really do recommend my book, The Startup's Guide to Customer Success available on Amazon and others. And I think if it comes, if I can't say my own book, I think I will also recommend No Rules, mm. which is by Reed Hastings and Aaron yep. Meyer. I think it really helped because as much as customer success is about figuring out like the customer journey and all that really great stuff, a good aspect of it, employee culture. And I think that book really helped me to better understand the power of having really good team culture and like how do you unlock people's brains and energy right. and motivation. And I think having that is just super important. So that's another book I recommend. Very cool. What's the best productivity tip or productivity hack, scare quotes for anyone not watching the video, that you've ever heard that has stuck with you and you still use? Yeah, I don't know if it's a productivity hack per se, but something that my a former manager told me, and I think it's something that I also encourage my team to do a lot and is just ask, mm. ask the question. Cause oftentimes I see folks, including my own team, myself, my previous self, sure in the future, I'll see this again. They get scared to ask questions and yes. they feel like they can figure it out themselves that they spent three hours on it. But no, that's why we're a team. Just ask. <laughs> You'll yep. probably get the answer way faster and maybe learn some new things along the way. So I feel like that's always the best productivity hack. Yeah, it's amazing what you can get by just asking, isn't it? My brother gave me this piece of advice once, and I think it's, it's very similar. I love the way he put it. He's like, Justin, if you ever have a problem with your car and you take it to Bob's Auto Body and you have a question, call the number and ask for Bob. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and he's just ask for him. And then you get the guy and you get the person who's directly involved with it and you just ask some questions. People will help you. So I think that's really good because it's forgotten a lot, especially when... And in a startup environment, you and I both know this working in startups, you put a lot of pressure on yourself to succeed, your small but mighty team, et cetera, et cetera. But you're right. Like just asking is as simple as it is a lost art. If you could recommend a website, blog, Slack community, LinkedIn group, Facebook group, real life meetup, if, if we <laughs> ever get to the point where we can do those easily again for customer success folk, who, what would it be? Yeah, there's so many wonderful communities out there, but I actually would go slightly deeper. Oh. Uh, and I actually would say it's not necessarily one site or one program, but rather to take advantage of the mentorship programs within each of these communities. Mm -hmm. I'm a mentor myself at some of these places, and I also help run mentorship programs at some of these places. And I can't believe what I've seen come out of it. The learnings that you get and the experience that you have is just far more superior than just like reading a blog or reading a site. And not to mention, you're also building a network. You're meeting right. people. Humans are you know, meeting humans and that's what we do best sort of thing. And so that's actually what I recommend is find that mentorship community within whatever blogs, yeah, whatever yeah. it is. And I think that's probably the most powerful thing to do. 
Very cool. All right, we're going to end with this one. If you could take anybody in customer success, business, career, life generally, out for either uh, coffee or cocktail, depending on the time of the day, and just get to pick their brain for an hour, who would it be? Oh, wow. I think there's so many great people out there. I probably would want to choose probably some badass women leader at some mm. like some CEO tech company. My first, the first thing that came to my mind was uh, Susan Wojcicki was CEO of YouTube. There's like Sheryl Sandberg. And of course, there's other leaders that are outside the tech world that I feel like I can definitely learn from. I think everyone has, I feel like I can also just learn from everyone. I'm just that type of person. And so I'm always down, whether it's like your first day in customer success or your 10,000th day, I feel like I can always learn from everyone. So I think it could be anyone, but I, I there's so many people. <laughs> yeah. Jennifer, this has been a wonderful conversation for the listeners out there. If they want to find out more about you or CISO, wh where, where can they go to, to get that information? Yeah, I'm super available on LinkedIn. Always love to uh, nerd out on customer success with folks, talk about the book, talk about customer success at their companies, work with them and their team, all that really great stuff. And so LinkedIn is the best way to find me there, or you can find my book on Amazon. And if you want to learn more about CISO, uh, you can go to CISOlabor.com. Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on the Support Automation Show and you have a wonderful weekend. Thanks for having me. The Support Automation Show is brought to you by Capacity. Visit capacity.com to find everything you need for automating support and business processes in one powerful platform. You can find the show by searching for Support Automation in your favorite podcast app. Please subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Capacity, thanks for listening.